I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10.3 Post Media's Canadian Current Affairs Podcast. Tweets from the federal government have landed Canada in a growing spat with Saudi Arabia. We look at what was said, the fallout for Canada, and the latest developments on this story. It's Thursday, August 9th. Last Friday, Foreign Policy Canada tweeted, Canada is gravely concerned about additional arrests of civil society and women's rights activists in Saudi Arabia, including Samar Badawi. We urge the Saudi authorities to immediately release them and all other peaceful human rights activists. Marie Danielle Smith covers national politics for the National Post. So what was the fallout from that tweet? Yeah, it was uh, pretty striking to see um, Saudi Arabia reacting to a tweet from Canada like that. Um, You know, we've started to live in an era where tweets, individual tweets, can cause a lot of furor, as we've seen, obviously, with um, the U.S. president. But it's very unusual for a tweet from a Canadian government department to cause this kind of reaction. Um, What basically happened was after this tweet was disseminated, and the same message also disseminated in Arabic um, via the embassy's account in Saudi Arabia, Mm -hmm. the Saudi government um, kind of lost its mind, um, decided that this was gross interference in its domestic affairs, um, that Canada had no place uh, sort of denying Saudi sovereignty in this way and telling them that they should basically release prisoners that they felt they had arrested on reasonable grounds based on their law. So they said that the Canadian ambassador in Saudi Arabia needed to leave within 24 hours, um, that they were recalling Hmm. their ambassador from Ottawa. And then over the next uh, 24 hours after that statement, we started to see more things trickle out that the Saudi government wanted to do. Um, A major airline decided to halt flights to and from Toronto. uh, And, Mm -hmm. you know, thousands of Saudi students who are in Canada on scholarships funded by the Saudi government are going to be called back as well. Uh, upwards of 15 or 16,000 students. So this is affecting a lot of people. And, you know, really it started out with what appears to be a somewhat mundane message from the Canadian government, something you might expect Canada to say uh, quite often to countries like Saudi Arabia, which is basically we defend human rights and we don't like that you jailed proponents of human rights. And this wouldn't be the first time that a country like Canada has criticized Saudi Arabia for its human rights record. I I think that for a long time, it was kind of well known that Saudi Arabia didn't grant the rights of women to drive. They were criticized for that for a long time. Women's rights is a big deal. Um, So what is so significant about this tweet and about this back and forth? How did it get to be such a big deal? It's a good question. I don't know that anyone has a, a wonderful answer for that. It, it seems like maybe there's been a bit of a buildup um, in Saudi Arabia of criticism against uh, their more recent actions. This has been a bit of a ramp up in the last few months. Um, mm-hmm. Samar Badawi, who was mentioned in the in Canada's tweet, and Nasima Al Sadah, who's another recent detainee, they're sort of two in a, a list of women's rights advocates specifically who have been targeted since May. 
Um, and these people uh, are typically those who have been very strong voices against the Saudi ban on women driving, which was lifted in June. But it seems that the Saudi government has been trying to sort of retroactively persecute those who were very involved in the movement towards that happening. Mm -hmm. And they've faced criticism for it. But I think what we saw with this tweet was sort of maybe a little bit of a watershed moment where you hadn't seen diplomacy conducted in such an overt way necessarily on this issue in the past couple of months. Um, Typically, Canada would be expressing these kinds of values and support for women's rights, but they would be doing so in different fora. They wouldn't necessarily be brought casting it to the whole world, um, they would more likely be doing it in meetings with diplomats and sort of formal diplomatic channels. So I guess we're sort of seeing um, something that's much more public than probably the Saudi government was prepared uh, to accept, and they felt like they needed to stand up for themselves in some way. Okay. And it's kind of strange to to see this whole thing kind of break down over the August long weekend. It was a pretty sleepy summer. Uh, everyone kind of NAFTA was even on the back burner, I think, for a lot of Canadians. And then this blew up. But I don't know if Canadians necessarily really understand what the relationship is between Canada and Saudi Arabia. And we do have fairly close ties with them, or at least we did. Yeah. I mean, I think the the issue that was most often in the news um, was this $15 billion arms deal with Saudi Arabia. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's actually kind of unclear whether that will uh, be threatened at all by this spat. Um, I think typically uh, the relationship is seen mostly as an economic one, and this is where that arms deal played in. Canadian defense companies had a pretty lucrative opportunity here, and ultimately both the conservative and the liberal government ended up approving this export. So it was seen as kind of a good business deal. And and a lot of our dealings with the Saudi government have been focused on that economic relationship rather than on um, squarely focusing on human rights. So You know, it's something that you see elsewhere, too. Our relationship with China, I guess you could argue, is kind of similar in that we focus more on um, gaining new economic opportunities with them, especially under this government, uh, than we do on defending human rights in a really public way. Mm -hmm. Now, the the arms deal, since the weekend... international incident blew up the a lot of people have brought up this arms deal saying well if canada was so concerned about human rights why would we have sold arms to the saudis it's a good question <laughs> so it, it we sell arms to the saudis we buy uh oil from saudi arabia we obviously have uh an economic or an educational uh relationship as they had sixteen thousand students here um how does canada kind of bridge that struggle where it's we have these relations we buy oil from them we sell arms to them but we don't like their human rights record like how do how do we square that circle it's something that governments have had to do forever you know i i mean there are lots and lots of non-western non-democratic countries with whom we do a lot of business And the balance that you try to strike is using those economic opportunities typically to try to influence um, other aspects of the country's record. So, for example, this government, whether you agree with it or not, um, this government has been trying to connect things like labor rights um, and gender equality 
to trade deals. Um, mm-hmm. Things where, you know, if you set up some kind of a formal structure or relationship with another country, maybe there are ways that you can encourage them to live up to the values that, that you do at home. So it's kind of a balance. And, and part of that balance with countries that are very proud and, you know, often don't have the best human rights records is to not insult them. So the, it's, it's kind of an interesting thing that we're seeing um, play out where something that seems very obvious for us here that, you know, women should be allowed to drive and that women shouldn't be jailed for advocating being allowed to drive, mm-hmm. something like that isn't as obvious for the leaders with whom we're dealing. And I think that there's a bit of nuance that's lost here where normally those conversations would happen in a more private diplomatic setting. There's a question around whether that's actually the best way to handle things. And I think some people even who support Donald Trump and some of the way that he's been handling diplomacy would say that maybe we need to change the way that diplomacy is conducted and that the sort of usual backroom talks aren't really working. Um, But in this case, you can see that there certainly are consequences when you come out very publicly with a statement like this. So uh, Saudi Arabia has cut flights to Canada. 15,000, 16,000 students are uh, being pulled back. Um, the ambassador has been sent back to Canada. What other steps is Saudi Arabia taking against Canada? Have they stopped all trade, or is it, or is that something they're amping up to? It's unclear at this time, I think, how this will play out exactly. Um, the trade that they've said they will halt are new trade deals and new investments. We don't really know yet, I don't think, um, whether the trading relationship as a whole is going to grind to a halt here. It sounds like they're talking about new investments and new deals between Saudi and Canadian companies. Mm -hmm. But this is something that we'll see over the next few weeks. Um, It's going to be interesting to see whether the rest of the international community backs Canada up on this, because I think that if Canada is sort of isolated, it would be easier for Saudi Arabia to threaten our business relationships. If most of the Western world rises up with Canada and says, yeah, we also believe in defending human rights. We disagree with your government on this issue. And maybe your trade will be threatened with us as a result of this. Then maybe they think twice uh, before letting it get that far. We'll be right back. This is Dave Breckenridge, host of 10.3 Post Media's Canadian Current Affairs podcast. The name represents Canada's 10 provinces and three territories, and each episode takes a deeper look at one of the biggest stories in the country. Our show is powered by the work of journalists and newsrooms across Canada, so be sure to support your local paper. We're available wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Google, Stitcher, and more. So be sure to subscribe and leave a review. We'd love to hear what you think. You can get me on Twitter, Breckenridge, Y-E-G, or dbreakenridge at postmedia.com. Now, there has been some response from uh, the international community, um, not all of it positive toward Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, I understand that there's a handful of uh, Middle Eastern countries who have defended Saudi Arabia, and the U.S. has kind of remained neutral on this. W- what is the, the general tone uh, coming from the international community so far? 
It's been silence for the most part as of now. Um, the United States normally in past years would have been rising up almost immediately to support Canada on this kind of issue. The U.S. has traditionally been a big defender of human rights abroad, and I think we've seen a change in tone under the administration today, which is maybe why some other Western nations have been slow to lend their support to Canada now. Mm -hmm. It's not a surprise to see countries like Bahrain and other, um, other Gulf countries, neighboring Saudi Arabia, support them because... Their economic relationships depend so heavily on Saudi that, you know, for them to side with Canada would be almost suicidal. Mm -hmm. So I'm not surprised by what we're seeing other than that you would expect some of Canada's G7 allies, especially uh, the United Kingdom and France, for example, to come out a bit more strongly on this kind of issue. And they haven't. And maybe they will. But it's a bit slow of a reaction, especially when, you know, the entire Western world just about uh, in solidarity with the United Kingdom expelled Russian diplomats earlier this year in, I think, what is the most recent example of sort of this exchange of diplomats being recalled from a country. And again, in this case, because of an actual murder um, rather than because of a tweet. Yeah, it seems kind of strange that something is... Uh simple as a 140 200 characters could turn into such a an international incident yeah when when you know someone's death or at least an attempt made on someone's life is usually sort of the threshold that we see now at home it's turned into a bit of a political football for the liberals as well you know there's been uh, plenty of at least social media criticism um, that uh, Trudeau and his government can't manage foreign affairs uh, people have been quick to criticize the government, even though it was the previous conservative government who originally signed the military deal. Mm -hmm. What has the opposition had to say about this? I don't know what they can say. Um, this is one of those tricky situations where I think we've seen in past months a tendency for the conservatives to focus on what they see as liberal shortcomings rather than offering something different or a different approach. Um, the Harper government was very strong on human rights and very ready to cause spats with countries um, that Canada has a trading relationship with in order to defend human rights. It's one of the, I think it's one of the only ways that the Harper government really asserted itself internationally was on such issues. Mm -hmm. So Andrew Scheer can't turn around and say that well, he might, <laughs> but he shouldn't, in theory, given the record of his own party, turn around and say that Canada shouldn't have been supporting human rights in this case. I guess, you know, the strategy for them is to connect this to a broader problem, perceived problem with the Trudeau government, mm -hmm. where Justin Trudeau and his officials go abroad without seeming to understand all of the nuance and all of the implications of their words and actions there, and s some trips that have seemingly resulted in failure or in Canada not getting what it wanted. One way that we can start to measure how the international community has been reacting to this government will be whether Canada is able to secure a UN Security Council seat. Um, when that election takes place, we're going to get a bit more evidence, I think, as to where where the chips are going to fall with other countries. 
Okay. Now, back to the people kind of at the center of this controversy. Uh, there's two people specifically that uh, the government uh, and our foreign affairs minister have, have mentioned, and it's a brother and sister. It's Raif and Samara mm-hmm. Badawi. Who are these people? So Raif Badawi is a blogger who was fairly controversial in his views in expressing a desire for better human rights uh, in Saudi Arabia. He was jailed. He's been in prison for a long time. His sister, Samar, uh, has been also imprisoned on and off for her... um, support for better women's rights in Saudi Arabia, um, specifically her refusal to accept this sort of male guardianship system that they have where a woman is not able to get a passport or travel or do a variety of different things without the approval of a male relative or husband, not allowed to get married without that approval. Um, So this is quite an activist pair. And we've heard a lot about Raif Badawi in Canada because uh, his spouse is here and she has been a very loud advocate for him. And we have people like former Liberal MP Erwin Kotler um, very frequently coming to Ottawa and coming to politicians in Ottawa with pleas that Canada be stronger in its defense of human rights abroad and in its condemnation of the imprisonment of such people. So there is a lot of activism around these kind of characters. The the name Badawi is one that a lot of Canadians recognize. And I think, you know, Christy Freeland and the Canadian government Mm -hmm. probably felt some impetus to say something in this case, especially because we're dealing with kind of a known quantity and someone who has been internationally revered for her attempts to improve the situation in her own country. And that also dovetails nicely with, um, as you mentioned earlier, uh, something that the the federal government under Justin Trudeau was trying to do is raise other issues as part of trade trade agreements and trade negotiations, specifically around human rights and, and women's rights. Mm-hmm. It's sort of the strategy that they've taken, and it's been criticized because a lot of countries just don't consider trade to be the venue for those kinds of discussions. This is why it seems that free trade negotiations with China fell apart, was that they felt like labor rights were not something to be dealt with in what is supposedly supposed to be like a more of a an economic um, kind of market arrangement. So mm-hmm. this was, though, for the liberals, a way to insert supposed Canadian values into an actual framework and something that can be measured. Um, we saw with, I think it was the, the Canada-Chile free trade agreement, uh, for the first time ever in a trade agreement, a chapter on gender. Uh, in practice, this chapter does very little. Um, it doesn't really, you know, enforce all that much within itself, but it does set up what some people hope is a framework within which stronger measures could be added later. And it sort of sets a precedent for other trade deals in the world. If you want to do business with Canada, then you have to prove that you are in line with us on some of these social values. So it's something that the government's been trying to do. It's garnered a lot of criticism. It hasn't always worked. Mm -hmm. Um, But this is one of the only concrete ways that I think they see potential for 
nudging countries towards sort of this more democratic, liberal direction um, that I think most Canadians would agree with. Marie Danielle, thank you. Thank you. Since recording our interview with Marie Danielle, there have been some major developments on this story. On Wednesday, Justin Trudeau defended Foreign Affairs Minister Christia Freeland and reaffirmed Canada's commitment to human rights. Meanwhile, the Saudi government has stopped imports of Canadian wheat and barley and is threatening increased measures. And the Financial Times reported that the Saudi Central Bank is instructing investors to sell off Canadian assets no matter the cost. 10-3 is produced by Carson Jarama and Carrie Ann Sprawl. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening.